This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. The fact we're getting to see Johnny Depp reminded me of the exposure and the fact that we're getting to see Joe Biden. This is the best that the Democrats could come up with. This is their guy. This is their chosen person that they were going to back and then get all the ammunition, all the weapons they have of censorship and cancel culture and everything else that they did, the lies, the distortions, the untruths, everything they did to rig that election. This was the person that they put up there, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That has got to expose the Democrats for who they are. They chose, okay, look, we're going to steal, cheat, lie, everything we have to do to get someone to be president, to beat Donald Trump. Who are we going to pick? There's a, about 160 million Democrats. Let's find two who are really good, really acceptable. Let's find the best of the best. I got him. Joe Biden. And who's the second one? Kamala Harris. Okay, then. That was what they did. And it's exposed the transparencies. We get to see it. We just push the button, turn on the TV, listen to the radio, read the newspaper. We see what's going on. We feel the pain of Afghanistan, of inflation, the pain of the southern border, the pain of the lies about COVID. I mean, we feel it. We know it. It's there. You can't hide it. Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike Hey, thanks for listening It's an interesting time to be around Confucius said May you live in interesting times What more interesting times could we be living in? You wake up every day, you got to look outside. You got to say, wow, it's great to be alive. It's great to be part of what's going on today. You could just hit a button, whether it's your TV screen or streaming device, <laughs> whether it's your iPhone, your computer, your desktop, whatever it is, boom, you're in the mix, man. You got a view of the world. It's all there. It's all there for you to look at. It's all exposed. It's great. Now, of course, you don't want anybody to block your view. It's right there. It's exposed. Like I said about the Johnny Depp trial. Here we are. The exposure of everything. Good, bad, or indifferent. And I'm not knocking Johnny Depp or his ex-wife or their friends or anything else. I'm just looking at that with fresh eyes and saying that, you know what? There's such a value to this sunlight. You shine a light. Everything's seen. As I've said, kind of deplorable, if you want to use that. Some of the things that they take for granted, even wanting to expose their lives the way they do. Look at the Kardashians. I mean, all this stuff. Reality TVs. Show my life to everybody. Expose me. I want to open up everything I do. Sex tapes and arguments with the family and the kids. I remember when you used to say, and the, you know, pardon the, you don't shit where you eat. You didn't do that. 
you kept things within the family, within the family. Everybody knew that people had issues, that families had issues, that brothers and sisters and cousins and all that. And there's all this stuff going, but she didn't put it out there for the whole world to see if you didn't have to. And now, of course, a lot of these reality TV shows, these, these people are making a lot of money. They're making bank and they're stars. They get the first seats at the restaurants. <laughs> they get special privilege. There are new stars. Kardashian. How else would I know the name Kardashian? Why? Because one of them married a rap star, whatever his name is, Kanye West. And why do I know Kanye West? Because he was married to Kim Kardashian. Of course. This exposure to the light. This going out there and saying, look at our dysfunctional lives. I'm not saying it doesn't serve a purpose. You know the purpose it serves? Listening to Johnny Depp talk about his childhood. Now, I've talked about my dad a lot. I've talked about growing up in the projects. And the, but I haven't talked a lot about the day-to-day, -day, the horror of growing up. Not just because we were poor and living in the projects. Not just because every day in school was a horror story, <laughs> a battle, a fight for survival. I mean, when you're a kid, you may not see the same reality as survival, but when we were little kids in the projects in Manhattan Beach, you say Manhattan Beach today, and you think of this high-end area, Oriental Boulevard. You go down Oriental Boulevard, that's the south side of Sheepshead Bay. You know, Sheepshead Bay, on the other side of that wooden bridge, if you don't know anything about Sheepshead Bay, that's where I grew up. And the bay, it comes right into Brooklyn. It's like an inlet. And how wide is it? A couple of football fields? Maybe? Maybe not even. I don't remember. Everything is exaggerated in life. When you're little, then you go back and you walk into the old school that you went to. And the halls are so narrow, you go, oh, my God, how did I go to this school? It's the same thing. I, if I go back to the Sheepshead Bay Bridge, I lived on that bridge practically. The way we lived back then and when we talk about that and when we think about that, do we really want to expose everything about the way life was back then? And I think the reason I was talking about, you know, growing up and the horror story, it was just a scary, a scary place to be. It was. Yeah. You're going down the street. Were there a lot, a lot of murders like there are today? There were a few. You know, it's hard for me to relate one to the other. We didn't have the amount of guns. We had zip guns. They were homemade guns. Did they have the same killing power as a six-hour? No. No, it didn't. But they did the damage. Now, when I was in Spafford in juvenile, it was like a jail for kids. If you're under 16, you didn't get to the same prison. 1212 Spafford Avenue. Youth House is what it was called. When I was there, I was in there with the Umbrella Man. And that guy killed another kid by just knifing him in the throat using the umbrella like a sword. The umbrella went in the guy's throat, and I think he did that a couple of times. So he was in 
E6, that was where we were, the older kids, 15. So him and my friend Eddie, he was called the Cape Man because he kept a shotgun under his cape. And I forgot what gang he was part of. He just blew a couple of guys away with his shotgun. So he was in there. But then there was a kid, a 12-year-old little kid, who used a baseball bat on the baseball field. So it was appropriate. <laughs> but he took that baseball bat. Maybe he was unhappy with the call. I don't remember the whole case. But he did kill another kid with that bat. So those are three murderers that were in youth house with me. Of course, the little kid was in the 12-year-old section. We were in the upper level of 15. That was the top. That was it. After that, you move on to the big house. Anyway, everybody always tells me to write a book, and I've started to write a book on several occasions. Maybe I'm just not ready for the total transparency that I think a book would entail. I spoke to somebody a few weeks ago that was recommended to me, you know, one of these ghostwriters, they write the book with you. And you know, that may be an easier way to go to have somebody prod and just pull out these details of my life. I lived through that. Do I really want to relive it? Do I want to put it out there? In some ways, I really do. Mostly for my kids. My kids are going through life. It's all good. Do I want to give them any barriers to their lives? Sometimes it's, it's like I'd like to know more about my grandparents, their struggles. Not only when they lived in Russia, my grandmother used to tell me those stories. I've talked about that. I know that my parents went through struggles, but I'd like to shine more of a light than I already know. We didn't have the time. My parents, my dad, going to work every day, three jobs, going to school, doing this. How much time did he have to... I don't remember once or twice when we ever had a, a baseball catch. Those are special moments because you didn't have gloves in those days. But, you know, you had the, the baseball, the softball. But I'm just saying, the luxury of that kind of time to have those talks, those conversations, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But do I really want to get into what Johnny Depp did? On his trial? Man. But the interesting part is you see somebody that's hundreds of millions of dollars, movie star, as big a celebrity status as it gets, and here's his, his life's truth. You know, he grew up with Betty Sue. But Betty Sue was his horror story mom from Kentucky. And that was his story. And I'm listening to it, and it's like, wow. The transparency of his life, did it benefit him or his, what, his sisters, brothers? I don't know. I can't remember. But did it benefit them? Did he have some compelling reason to not hold this in anymore? And he needed the world to hear? Like, hey, look at me. You think I'm all this? You think I'm just this whatever? No, I'm a real person. Don't look at me like I'm some sort of a whatever. I'm really real. I'm here. You pinch me and it hurts and you punch me and it's, I mean, this is me. This is what I am. Here's my life story. This is what I've gone through. And what triggered it? An article in the Washington Post that he says kept him from getting jobs 
because Amber Heard, who very few people ever heard of, wrote an article without even mentioning his name, but talked about her ex and what he did and how it was. And come on, I'm sorry, but I'm not one that's going to look at these things going on and say that I believe for a second that Johnny Depp couldn't get a job because of an article in the Washington Post. If you believe that for a second, then you have got to believe that the power of the media that wrote this story, story after story, the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, all the all that power that wrote the stories about Donald Trump, if one little article from an ex-wife could have prevented Johnny Depp from getting work, could have done the damage that he's claiming it did, and maybe it did. I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying, if it did, can you even imagine what damage it did? You know, you damage Johnny Depp's career. Well, it don't affect me. I don't know who else it affects. All the people that love the, what, Pirates of the Pensons or whatever the name of the thing was, Edward Scissorhands, whatever his stories are. I don't think I've seen anything with Johnny Depp in actually. So I kind of like the guy. There's empathy there. But the point is, it would damage the people, assuming that Johnny Depp's art is something that's measurable. And it prevents him from putting out his art to that degree that those people who would love to see that experience his art, enjoy it, whatever, don't get to do that. That's it. So what damage did it do? Because maybe it cost Johnny Depp a paycheck here or there, so they'll call him Johnny Paycheck, <laughs> or Johnny No Paycheck for a while. But what damage does it do? Not to Donald Trump, not to Sarah Palin, but to all the people in this country that are suffering because Donald Trump would have gotten elected but didn't because of stories, falsehoods, lies, fake news, article after article, everything that was thrown at him, the kitchen frickin' sink of news thrown at him, the bad news after bad news, the Russia gate, how much did that cost us? There's a big price we're paying. I know that there's some people in this country that think that this guy Biden, well, what if they didn't choose Biden? They actually chose somebody. Call it Tulsi Gabbard, for argument's sake. And she actually got in and did a credible job. I don't know that I'd love all her policies, but I guarantee you we would never have gotten out of Afghanistan in the terrible way that we did, and that wouldn't have happened. We would have gotten out of Afghanistan, but it would have been under the same conditions or similar conditions to the conditions that were set up by Donald Trump. I'm sure of it. Something that was acceptable, okay? That's what I see. Would there be inflation? I don't know. 
Would Tulsi Gabbard have stopped oil and gas exploration? Would she have cut down the pipelines, the Keystone Pipeline? I look at her as a patriot. I find her acceptable. I don't like the Democrat Party platform, their politics or policies, but they're American. And Tulsi Gabbard represents that. And I would probably swallow that bad medicine, an oversized pill, too much government, an oversized pill. I'd probably swallow it a lot easier. But would it be different had they used the same methods when they blatantly lie, when they shut down the truth, when they don't put out the opinions that they don't like, when you're censored. And when you think about the damage that compelled Johnny Depp to go to this trial, I mean, this is what happened. Amber Heard wrote an article in 2018 in the Washington Post. An article! One article! And it cast aspersions on Johnny Depp. So think about the damage done to this country by damaging Donald Trump. We should all be suing all these institutions. We should certainly be exposing what happened. And we're going to get more exposure about Johnny Depp and Amber than we want. But we're never going to get the kind of exposure about what happened to Donald Trump and to this country that we need. And that's a shame. But when we see what's at some point, Elon Musk buying Twitter, it'll be more than a drop in the bucket. It's going to help. But again, like, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, Elon Musk has got to be better than what we have. But will he be better? Really? By what measure? You know, Elon Musk has said he thinks free speech exists. Basically, what he said is if 10% of the people on the left and 10% of the people on the right or the ones that are hurt and disagree and all this, the truth lies someplace with the 80% in the middle. And he said that. And I'm saying to myself, where did that come from? How do you know that the truth is with the 10% on the left or the 10% on the right? What makes you think that the 80% in the middle know so much that that's where the truth lies? I'm sorry. I absolutely don't agree with that. The truth lies where it lies. The truth is the truth. You can't place it, not in the 50%, 80%, 10% on the left. It's the truth. I don't know where it lies. I don't want cancellation. Cancel culture's wrong. We got to stop it. And so is censorship on the left or the right. So are we going to, I hate saying, you know, I really do. When you hear me say that, you know that, you see, when I listen back to the raw podcast and I hear the ums and the you knows, I cringe. So you can censor that all you want, but don't censor the important things that we need to hear. Don't censor. Don't live a life where we're going to turn on this quote-unquote reality TV so we see every little aspect of this person's life and that person's life and the housewives over here and the housewives over there. And God knows what else is out there that we have to see. 
reality TV. Oh, let's see what's going. Okay, you want to do this, but don't do that, and then have the unreality of the rest of our lives, the politics, the things that watching the sausage being made is something that maybe you don't want to do that because you don't want to see sausage made. But when it comes to the fact that that may affect our lives a lot more than watching Kim Kardashian do anything, these are things that we should work hard to expose. This is where we want to see total transparency in those things that affect our lives. I'm sorry, but Housewives of Everywhere don't affect my life. It's good entertainment if you like that. Great. Nothing against it. I'm just saying the juxtaposition of what we gravitate towards and what we want to watch, to see, to read about the National Enquirer or whatever those magazines are. What about those things that affect our lives? If you found out that you were being lied to and that with the things that you've seen on these reality TVs were really made up, scripted, and rehearsed, they were just reading lines. It was all scripted. How would you feel? Oh, my God. You'd feel like the, the biggest crime has been perpetrated on you. For years, you've been following this and that. And you find, well, that's what's going on. And we accept it. We allow the censorship. And who's doing the censorship? Are we agreeing that the guy invented Twitter, that it's okay for him to say we can or cannot read or hear or what's going to be canceled or what's going to be censored? But it's not okay if it's Elon Musk? Well, that's what the left is. They're panicking like crazy. And for us, we're saying, hey, great, it's Elon Musk. Yay, it's great. Well, it is, it is good. It's a breath of fresh air. I agree with much, if not most, of what he says. And I believe he got involved and got in there for all the right reasons. We've been totally lied to, totally taken for suckers, the left and right. If you think because you agree with the left, with the Biden administration, because you agree that you're in any better position, you can agree now. What's going on is not acceptable. And if it got there with the truth, justice, and the American way, if it got there in an honest way, oh, okay, that's fine. But you and I know it was rigged. It was a setup. It was a stolen election, stolen from you, you left-wing Democrat voting person. If my guy, Donald Trump, had been elected, you would be in better shape because it would have been honest. Now, okay, we see where we are. We're in bad shape. And everything Trump said that you hated, you know, what's coming over the border, the outlaws, the bandits, the crooks, the murderers, the rapists, the child molesters, pedophile. It's all coming over with the drugs and the opioids. And it's not about Mexicans. It's about the... OTMs, other than Mexicans, that come through that border, 150, 60, 70 countries from around the world. And it is about the Mexicans and the poor, you want to call them Latinos, those Latin-speaking countries in 
South and Central America, that they're poor, given this promise of hope and all kinds of things, and they come through and they're dying, they're being killed, they're being abused, their money is coming from them. It's a horror story. It's a horror story. And Bishop Evans, this American National Guardsman from Texas, who jumps in the water to save a couple of illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, coming across the Rio Grande, he jumps in to save them and drowns. Actually saves the two of them. They turn out to be drug smugglers. But do we know the amount? And by the way, they captured 23 terrorists. Did we learn something from 9-11? How many terrorists did it take to hijack those planes? What was that all about? How long were they trained? And where? How did they learn how to fly? And where? So 23 are captured. Do you realize they had 600,000 getaways? 600,000 getaways. That's a huge amount. Those are people, poor, uneducated, for the most part, I believe, people from all over South and Latin America trying to get through, who come across the border. We grab and document. Yeah, that's right. There are, what, a million plus? But there's 600,000 getaways. Now, we captured 23 terrorists. I will tell you now, these terrorists are well-trained. Before a terrorist is sent here from a radical Islamic nation, they are trained. They know how to blow things up. All the things that we're trained to do, they're trained to do. And they're the ones who are best equipped to get away. So if we captured 23, and I was just recently talking to a friend of mine who's very involved in Homeland Security. We had this conversation. We captured 23. How many do you think other way? Another 23? I said, it's probably 50 or 60, huh? He said, how about 500? Oh, wow. He says, yeah, probably a good 10%. 10%. He's using that number. And I go, that's a huge amount. We're talking terrorists. We talked about it a little bit more. So how many terrorists do you think that are being groomed and trained and then sent over here through our southern border? A lot. Well, they're coming over here in other ways, too. But a lot. And if they caught 23, he said 500, more likely. Well, let's say it's 100. That's a lot of terrorists coming into our country every year to destroy us, to physically destroy us. That's a big and unacceptable number. Think about it. It's not a matter of left or right. This open border policy is wrong. We know, okay, you on the left, let's just accept the fact that there are a number of you listening here who want an open border policy. That's a different debate. Even an open border policy is one that has to be organized. You can't just open the gates and say, come on in. No. Even people 
that come here legally go through a process. There's nothing wrong with a quote-unquote process. Let's just say that your belief that we should be open to refugees from all over, well, these refugees come in here and they have to tell us who they are, they have to prove who they are, talk about why they're here, where they're coming from. They're trying to save them or their family. And there's a process. You can't just open, well, you can. Maybe that's what you're advocating. As Americans, we have the right to have this exposed, to talk about it, to have a better understanding because we don't agree. And we need to agree. Yes, immigration policy, they talk about this total immigration policy that they want to have. They want to put this whole thing together, and they've been talking about it for years. And we've come close on a few occasions, but we don't agree. So what's another 10 years? What's it? Yeah, I know there's people whose lives will suffer or whose lives would have been enhanced, won't be. But that goes on both sides. That's on both sides of the argument. It doesn't favor the left or the right. It doesn't favor you over me or vice versa. It benefits us both to solve this immigration policy and come to a place where we agree. And we're not there. And I don't know what it's going to take to get us there. I do know it's going to take real leadership. And then we'll have comprehensive immigration policy that works on both sides. That, I think, is where Elon Musk was going with his comment. 10% on the left and 10%. People often say, you know you have a good deal when both parties are a little bit upset. I like to think of it as both parties are a little bit happy. <laughs> Nothing's going to make you totally happy. I got everything. Because then the other guy got nothing. That would be the assumption. It's like, hey, I got a lot of what I wanted. Maybe they got a lot of what they wanted too. There's a few things. Don't confuse that with what he said about the truth. Because we don't know, again, not to be redundant, we don't know about the truth. So there was an article from Joseph John. Joseph John's a Navy Academy graduate. And he's a former FBI guy, chairman of Combat Veterans for Congress. That's a PAC. And I'm active in that PAC. Uh, I believe in that PAC. We find people running for Congress who are combat veterans and back them. And every year there's a lot more than you think. And this year there are six retired Navy SEALs who are running for Congress. Because, again, like I said, when I talked about the exposure, the fact we're getting to see Johnny Depp reminded me of the exposure and the fact that we're getting to see Joe Biden. This is the best that the left wing, that the Democrats can come up with. This is their guy. This is their chosen person that they were going to back and then get all the ammunition, all the weapons they have of censorship and cancel culture and everything else that they did. The lies, the distortions, the untruths, everything they did to rig that election. This was their guy. This was the person that they put up there. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That has got to expose the Democrats 
for who they are. That's the best they could give us. They chose, okay, look, we're going to steal, cheat, lie, everything we have to do to get someone to be president, to beat Donald Trump. Who are we going to pick? Well, I don't know. There's 320 million Americans. That means there's a, about 160 million Democrats. Let's find two who are really good, really acceptable. Okay, 160 million Democrats. Let's pile through them. Let's find the best of the best. I got him. Joe Biden. And who's the second one? Kamala Harris. Okay, then. <laughs> that was what they did. And it's exposed. The transparency is there. We get to see it. We just push the button, turn on the TV, listen to the radio, read the newspaper. We see what's going on. We feel the pain of Afghanistan, of inflation, the pain of the southern border, the pain of the dope, the pain of the lies about COVID. I mean, we feel it. We know it. It's there. We see it. You can't hide it. The Democrat, Marxist, left-wing, communist, socialist, American is on trial. Right there. So I get this from Joseph John. He sends me this great stuff on, well, pretty regular basis, every couple of months or whatever. So he sent an article from Judd Garrett. Objectivity is the object. Objectivity is the object. I guess if you want to say it that way, listen, perspective is reality. Your perspective. Somebody used to say to me, your perspective is your truth. No, your perspective is your reality. It's how you see things. That's not necessarily the truth. There is a universal truth that's worth seeking and fighting for, and it's worth holding up as what we want to find. Not a perspective, but truth. This article goes on. That was me. That was all me. <laughs> Roughly 40% of the country appears convinced that the current president was elected fraudulently and that the election was rigged. Barack Obama said last week as he called for more censorship of the social media. 40% this is Barack Obama. 40% is not a fringe group of extremists. It's a large segment of the population. So two of every five people you meet believe the election was rigged. That's fairly mainstream thinking. And yet, Barack Obama wants any mention of the election being rigged scrubbed from the internet. Let's set aside the mail-in ballots and no voter ID for a moment and focus solely on two things that we all no actually happened. Just two things out of all the other stuff. Social media censoring the true Hunter Biden laptop story and social media spreading the false claim that Donald Trump called dead American soldiers in France losers and suckers. Both of those stories dropped within two months of Election Day and every social media platform allowed the false Trump story based on an unverified, unnamed source to run through their platforms like wildfire. And remember, Johnny Depp suing Amber Heard for 50 million bucks because of a 2018 article she wrote 
without naming Johnny Depp. Just she wrote about the relationship she had that was a Me Too kind of relationship. And he's suing her. And it's all being exposed. And imagine. So what he's talking about here are just two facts. The one that he called us veterans, losers and suckers within two months of the election. And that social media blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story, said it was false. So there was no proof, no corroboration. In fact, when we talk about him calling us losers and suckers, 21 people who were there with Donald Trump in France went on record and denied the story outright. Yet, that false story was allowed to spread on social media. Again, the Biden laptop story, which the New York Post verified before running it, was taken down from social media within hours based on the claim it had not been authenticated, even though they knew it had been. These two stories are all you need to know that the 2020 presidential election was rigged. That's all you need to know. If you censor every negative story about Joe Biden and spread every negative story about Donald Trump, you create a complete imbalance of information that will alter the outcome of the election. 16% of the people who voted for Biden said if they had known about the Hunter Biden laptop story, they would not have voted for him. 16% comes out to 129 million votes, five million more than the difference in the election. And here we have former President Obama claiming the election was not rigged and then calling for expanding one of the mechanisms they use to rig the election, selective censorship, arguing it should be done to promote democracy. The Democrats live in their delusional world where they tell each other they're the only party who supports democracy which gives them the arrogance to act anti-democratically and rig our elections in the name of democracy because doing so ensured that their party wins. We spent over two years investigating Russia collusion, accusation against Donald Trump, and the only thing we discovered was a handful of Russian agents bought roughly $100,000 worth of Facebook ads. Facebook, Zuckerberg. It's to try to influence the 2016 election. Joe Biden spent $1.7 million every day on his 2020 campaign. So a one-time expenditure of 100000 by Russia is like a raindrop in the ocean. Yep, it does nothing. But we spend over 40 million investigating. Now look at 30 million, 35 million. I always thought it was more. But whatever. Investigating the false accusation, okay? Russiagate. But no one wants to investigate Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg spending over 400 million to put his people into the voting places in the major cities of the battleground states. Are we to believe that the CEO of the social media company who is rigging the news stories about the election to favor Joe Biden donated $400 million to those battleground voting precincts to ensure the election was fair? 
<laughs> he did that to ensure his guy won, knowing his guy would give his company favorable treatment. He's a left-winger. Like it or not, social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter have become the premier place for American citizens to voice political opinions. So blocking people from speaking on those platforms is a slap in the face of the First Amendment. When it comes to censoring content, the questions are always who's doing the censoring and what's being censored. And as we all know, with American politics, as soon as large amounts of power are concentrated in one place, political operatives will do whatever they can to get their hands on that power and use it for their own benefit. If social media can sway elections, then politicians will find a way to control it. And that's precisely what Obama was lobbying for when he called for more censorship of social media. These calls for censorship are always based on the grounds of stopping the spread of misinformation. The best way to combat misinformation is to have more voices, more opinions, more speech, not less. As we saw with the 2020 election, when censorship is allowed, the truth usually gets censored and falsehoods are disseminated. This was the prevailing tactic for the last two years with COVID, as any dissenting opinion from the official government narrative was labeled misinformation and taken down. But now that the fog of COVID has lifted, we see that much of the uncensored COVID content has turned out to be true. Right? We're talking about the cost of the shutdowns, the cost of the kids going to school with masks or not going to school. And much of the official narrative is proven to be not only forced but harmful. We're no longer in a quest for the truth, but a battle to win the narrative. Boy, that's a fact. That was what was so encouraging when Elon Musk made his offer to buy Twitter. The first thing he said, which I agree with, Given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. So if Musk can free Twitter from the left-wing senses and allow all Americans to voice their political opinions, he will have done as much for American democracy as Jefferson, Washington, Lincoln. He will have democratized social media and turned it into what it was supposed to be, Platforms for every citizen to voice their opinions and exchange information. The initial rise of the internet and social media meant the average citizen was no longer slave to corporate media that had become as corrupt as the politicians they're covering. It's not a given that Musk will be able to gain controlling interests. Well, I think it is. Well, it's really not. We don't even know if, if he's going to want to. There's a lot of questions here. But there are a lot of entities out to stop him. I know they had the poison pill deal. Max Boot of the Washington Post that uh, Jeff Bezos' propaganda arm said. This is Mark Boot, Washington Post. I'm frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation not less. Whoa! More contact moderation. That's, you know, that's censorship, okay? 
former Secretary of Labor under Clinton, Robert Reich. Oh, Robert Reich. You should know how much I despise everything that guy says. He said Musk's vision for Twitter is dangerous nonsense. He went on to say removing Trump from all major social media platforms was necessary. Robert Reich's quote, necessary to protect American democracy. So free speech is dangerous and censoring protects them. They'll also claim that words are dangerous because they want to control your words. They will tell you that words are violence or silence is violence, depending on whether they want to silence you or compel you to speak. But neither words nor silence is violence. Violence is violence. Words are words. The liars always see the truth as threats, whereas the truthful do not feel lies. The best way to protect democracy is to give every American citizen a voice. Give each of us a voice, not just specific voices that the social media platforms approve of. If Musk does take control, become a true bastion of free speech or simply his preferred censorship platform. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Musk tweeted yesterday. Again, and I said this before, I'm going to read it again. Social media platforms' policies are good if the most extreme 10% on left and right are equally unhappy. Thomas Jefferson did not write, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press unless it's the extreme 10% on the left or the right. No, 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 no. How does Musk automatically know? that the truth is not on the edges of political discourse. Why does he think the truth always resides in the middle? It doesn't. Copernicus, Galileo, they're not middle-of-the-road thinkers. Jefferson and Madison were considered radicals and would have been blocked according to Musk's vision. The current Twitter senses are favoring the left over the right. It seems that Musk wants to replace that by favoring the middle over the right and left. His role at Twitter should not be to make certain people happy and others unhappy. That's what they're currently doing. Musk can't help himself. Like everyone else, when accruing that much power, he cannot help but use it for the greater good of our country's well-being, but for himself. That's just, that's life. When handed power, no one is immune to corruption. And that, more than anything else, is the reason why Freedom of speech is so very important because when the political class has been corrupted and the media class has been corrupted, the citizens are ultimately the final check on the entire political system. And their voices must be heard. All of them. Freedom of speech is necessary to protect American democracy and therefore can never be abridged. Right? It's a crazy fact, but it is a fact. It's a good thing. I think it's going to get better. What's going on with Zuckerberg? What's going on with Bezos? All these bazillionaires, and I think Musk, let's not look at it as a panacea like I've been saying. Let's find the button that allows us to speak our minds freely. Our reality TV show, our reality social media experience should equally be accessible by all of us, any of us, no matter what I think of it. Yes, there are boundaries. Yes, you can't make threats. Yes, you can't cry fire in a crowded theater when there is no fire. Yes, 
We understand all that. But we need to do what we can as a people, as a country, as a nation, as Americans, to make sure that whether it's Elon Musk on the right, and I think he's on the right, well, he's a lot more on the right than Mark Zuckerberg, or Mark Zuckerberg on the left, who we know is on the left. Either way, we want the truth to be heard. And that's why I say, when we talk about Roll Right Radio, I'm talking about truth, justice, and the American way. And it's important. Truth eventually sets you free. Justice, that's the American way. And we've got to get back to that. As much as we're going to see and hear things that are distasteful. Yes, back to the Johnny Depp trial. Distasteful. The things you don't want to see. There's things that, that you can't unsee. But we need to find the truth. So I'm New York Mike again. Don't forget, Rolling to Remember coming up. Rolling to Remember, the most important freedom ride we've ever had is Rolling to Remember this year, Washington, D.C. Memorial Day. Thank you to the AMVETS. Everybody else, if you can get there, get there. Support someone else who needs to get there and needs help. I'm New York Mike, Roll Right Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.